Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. So Bill, welcome back. Yes, good to be back as always. So As always, another great week. We had a really good discussion last time we spoke about just reflecting on this past just exceptional and, and challenging year and how laboratory medicine has changed with the pandemic. And we talked about the challenges, successes, some of the silver linings of how laboratory and communication about what the laboratory does with the public has really risen to prominence. So this week, I thought it would be great to now kind of get out our magic eight ball, but also take all the knowledge we have from all the work that you've been doing, that we've been doing together to predict what we think is going to, we're going to see in the future now. I mean, yeah. what the future well, of laboratory medicine is going to look like. Of course, like. that's what people asked us to talk about, right? We did the Twitter poll and yeah. that's what people want us to talk about. So in some respects, we all met because we talked a lot about the past year. And now I think the past year is really important because it is so dramatic in terms of a global event. And it's had such yeah. a laser focus on diagnostics, right? right? So as we see, and we're hopeful that the, with the numbers going in the right direction, that we actually will, and people getting vaccinated, that will be at a, now we can start to at least future beyond just the, the narrow blinders of managing COVID. Where does that go for us? You know, and it's interesting for me because I have a very unique job where I have both, the, I'm the academic chair of, of the department here in Rochester and in the Midwest for Mayo Clinic, as well as a president of Mayo Clinic Labs. So I have this hybrid role of an academic chair, as well as in the business world, if you will, of medicine. Mm-hmm. You start to look at some of the things that are happening from that vista. And, and, and again, the COVID is, feels like it's kind of given me a kind of unique vista because I've been involved in both of those levels of conversations at a new level. And one of the things I really think that is going to continue is the whole disruption of, of the diagnostics industry. And what do I mean by that? I think that, number one, there was an interest pre-COVID for non-traditional companies, non-healthcare companies to get into diagnostics, uh, Amazon, Google, and Apple are, are three that come to mind. These companies that, and corporate entities that are, have a lot of capital at their disposal that really wanted to get into diagnostics. Well, now they have an opportunity to do so, and they've been called to do so for, to help the public good. So what does that mean for us? I mean, I think that with Google and Apple, there's going to be a lot more interest in kind of the wearable monitors and having actually medical grade to help monitor for things for healthcare problems. Again, COVID even, you think about the MBA and they did some stuff with biometric monitoring. I think we'll see that increase. Amazon with making tests available at home. I think people during the quarantining and and all the other things want access to diagnostics in the home and there'll be much more of a desire for that. And then last but not least, these companies and others are really investing in the diagnostic industry, right? So if you look just at people who are looking where they should be putting their money because it's going to really grow and change in dynamic ways, diagnostics is a big part of that. So I think that what we're going to see post-COVID is a continued acceleration for diagnostic tests and diagnostic information to be created outside of a traditional laboratory. Traditional meaning like, you know, a hospital lab or a reference lab. There's going to be more and more decentralized testing and more and more technologies used to create diagnostic information. 
Yeah, it's really interesting because these aren't new, yet COVID really sped up the development of some of these things in a good way. I think this is another one of the silver linings to come out of the pandemic, although it's complicated because we're going to have to figure out how to work with these new tools. But yeah, this demand for at-home collection, at-home testing, ongoing monitoring uh, with these high-grade wearable devices. It's really interesting. How do you think that's going to impact us in laboratory medicine? I think you're exactly right. If you think about where we're headed with healthcare in healthcare costs, as soon as a patient shows up at a hospital, it starts to cost money to take care of that individual. Now, so you really want them there when they need to be there. So the economics were very much in favor of having testing be more distributed and more accessible for individuals to create information about whether or not they need to access care. Anytime there's a change is that there's a barriers to entry, particularly in healthcare, it's a very difficult market to penetrate. COVID and the demands of COVID have lowered many of those barriers. So now we have these new people in, our, in the shop, if you will. So what does it mean for us? I think that one of the things that people have been concerned about in academic medicine and in hospitals will be the egress of tests out of the hospital. Now, all of a sudden, the hospital lab is not going to be the place where the testing is done. I do not think that's going to happen. It will happen to some degree. There's no doubt. And a lot of the routine testing might become more routine on the outside. Uh, to your point, though, it's interesting. I mentioned before, I have the opportunity to work with the Global Fund and the World Economic Forum on the access to COVID tools globally, right, for low and middle income countries called the ACT Accelerator, co-chairing the industry advisory group with a guy, gentleman by the name of Scott Garrett, who spent a long time as a CEO of a number of diagnostic companies. And he mentioned that, you know, we thought that this was going to be the way 15 years ago, but it turns out people don't want to measure their calcium every day at home. <laughs> There's not a lot of analytes that, that need this. So, so it's, right. it's not like everything's just going to go and then, and then people aren't going to be showing up for tests anymore. I think the two things for the hospital lab and for us as laboratory medicine professionals will be, how do we ingest that information? How do we bring it in and make it part? Because we know people get frustrated if we have to repeat it, right? If you get to do something at home and the first thing you do when you show up to the hospital is you have to repeat everything that was done, mm-hmm. going to make people unhappy because then they might end up having to pay for it themselves and those sorts of things. And we're just going to have to strike the right balance to understand what information is still best created in the hospital mm-hmm. versus not. And also really working with FDA and other regulators to say, how do we make sure that information is of sufficient quality? So really not thinking about regulation as a problem or a challenge, which it is, but also thinking of something that's going to be important that we participate in so that we can help understand and provide knowledge around how can we determine if these tests are actually medical grade, if you will. It's interesting. You mentioned the FDA. We've certainly gained a lot of experience working with them, and they've really wanted things to work for the clinical diagnostic laboratories. And as you know, uh, we uh, got an emergency use authorization for our SARS-CoV-2 nucleic acid amplification test that we uh, developed here at Mayo Clinic. So it's possible for clinical labs to work through FDA. And I do think as laboratory professionals, we need to play a role and have a voice in the quality of the tests that are being produced. I think that's right. And also, what's the role of CLIA and CMS versus yep. the role of FDA in regulating mm-hmm. these things? And what's the best way to what's the best way to monitor that tests are doing what we need them to do? Yeah, so lots of things to think about, Bill. Uh, what do you think are the most important things people should take away right now? Well, again, it was funny because you started about predicting the future. 
And I think about, I think it was Professor Tribe, a lawyer from Harvard that I heard say, those who use a crystal ball to predict the future should be prepared to eat broken glass or something like that. But, <laughs> so it's really more about how do we help shape the future, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things happening right now. And there's a lot of interest in, in laboratory medicine and diagnostics. But the people that really understand the laboratory and how it is used to support healthcare the best are laboratory medicine professionals and pathologists. Mm -hmm. I go back to a similar kind of conversation in a totally different industry that was happening about eh, somewhere between five and 10 years ago, and that's in the auto industry. Car manufacturers are still the ones that really understand cars really well and how people want to get around. So and I think it'll be the same will be true for laboratory medicine. It's like these things are coming, but unlike the auto industry, maybe lab medicine doesn't have that same visibility. So I think we just have to really be proactive about taking advantage of the fact that people are looking to the labs and to laboratory medicine and pathology for thought leadership and to continue to be part of these conversations and to really have our ear to the ground and what's happening and not just wait for things to happen, but to be proactive, reaching out, as you mentioned, the FDA, a lot of these entities are really anxious for information and they want to do what's right. So to think about ourselves really as not people that just use machines to produce results or use microscopes to look at slides, but people that really understand how to create high quality data to guide healthcare and how to understand how to put the pieces of the puzzle together. If we think of ourselves in that way and to get engaged in the conversations, then number one, our profession becomes more important, not less. And number two, and more importantly, the right things happen for patients with these new technologies. Well, that's really nicely said, though. As we talked about last time we spoke, we really talked about the importance of communication in laboratorians, laboratory scientists, and leaders getting out and speaking to the public, speaking to the media. We've learned how to do that, and we need to continue doing that. And as I've mentioned before, I'm a really strong proponent for laboratory leaders in the sense that we are clinicians. We don't just sit in our office and do research, and we don't just go into the lab and have machines that run tests or look in microscopes and produce results. We're really part of the clinical team. And so we need to really advocate for ourselves and be out there and put ourselves out there. And it's a good point about the crystal ball. You know, we don't exactly know what's going to happen, but we've gained a lot of knowledge and experience. So it really behooves us to be part of that team to go out and share what we think is going to happen and then work with that based on that knowledge. Yeah. And going back full circle, just think of the questions that came up with COVID right? And the things that people needed to learn and understand mm -hmm. about tests and testing. What's the best test? How is it used? What does it mean? I mean, these are just real fundamental questions around infectious disease that even people very high public office had really no knowledge to draw from, right? And even when they pivoted to look, it was difficult for them to find a good source. So I think to really understand that and think about the fact that we are now entering the age of data and analytics. 70 to 80% of the quantitative data in anyone's health record comes from the labs, comes from us. So now should be the time where our profession, to your point, is really looked at as clinicians, clinicians that understand how to create high quality data and how to use that data and put pieces of data together to draw conclusions. So it's not just about a COVID test, it's about is someone safe to go on an airplane or what's their risk of infection or what's their risk of getting severely ill. The real questions around COVID have to be answered over and over and over again through healthcare. New technologies will come that create the data. We have to be positioned to help society understand what are the best technologies and then what's the best, what, what's the right answer. 
Yeah, and I'll add to that and say that also as laboratory scientists and leaders, we need to be considering our local population and adapting tests that are going to really suit our population that we serve. And that would argue against taking everything, you know, into a centralized model where all the testing goes to some big laboratory. You know, you still need the role of your local laboratory leaders because each local environment may be slightly different. And a test that's good for one person may not be for another, but also working with the patient's working with the other physicians, other clinicians, and then looking at test utilization, making sure the right tests are being ordered for the right patients at the right time. There's all sorts of opportunities. There's that. I think back to early in the pandemic that someone personally reached out to me from one of the Native American tribes here in the state of Minnesota about the fact that they were so concerned they weren't going to get access to COVID testing in terms of equity of healthcare, Mm -hmm. right? Getting testing out to the right people and not just in the country, but around the globe. There's all sorts of opportunities for us to really do good things with our knowledge and our understanding about how labs can be used to shape healthcare. And to your point, understanding some parts of this country struggle for good healthcare because they just don't have access to basic kind of testing that can help identify chronic diseases that need to be managed. So lots and lots of opportunities for us. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think we've answered the question, what does the future of laboratory medicine look like? I think it's exciting. There's a lot of things going on. Do you have any final takeaway messages for our listeners? You said it really well. So let's not get too fatigued by everything that's happened with COVID. Let's get energized by the possibilities that have been created for us. And let's charge forward. Let's go. Let's do it. Awesome. Let's do it. All right. Well, thanks again, Bill. Great speaking with you. Again, it's another durable thing from the pandemic, at least semi-durable, our weekly podcast, (laughs) which I really enjoy. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.